What a wonderful world to style this message. And I got favorite songs in life. This is one. I'm going to sing along with this if you want. It's kind of cool. Trees of green, red roses too. I see them blue for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I see skies of blue. Clouds of white, the bright blessed day, the dark sacred night, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. The colors of the rainbow, so pretty in the sky. Also on the faces of people going by, I see friends shaking hands, saying, how do you do? They're really saying, I love you. I hear babies cry. I watch them grow. They're like much more. Myself. What a wonderful world Yes, I think to myself What a wonderful world You ever think to yourself, what a wonderful world? We all desperately want it to be, don't we? It would be a wonderful world for our kids, our grandkids, and their kids, and on and on. Simone Weil, Christian French philosopher, wrote these words, and I quote, At the bottom of the heart of every human being, from the earliest infancy until the tomb, there is something that goes on indomitably expecting. In the teeth of all experience of crimes committed, suffered, and witnessed that good, not evil, will be done. It is this above all that is sacred in every human being. I think we long for it. I think there's a longing in us humans really desiring things to be as they should be and not the way that they really are. Louis Armstrong sang that song. I, I think he, he, he was trying to see the good in life, if you will. Green trees, red roses, blue skies, rainbows, friends shaking hands, people saying, I love you. So with that in mind, as we, we look at the world scene, we look at the world picture, and we watch the news, and on and on, it's hard for us to frame this picture of this is a wonderful world in which we live. There is one way that we can see this as a wonderful world, as we try to see it from God's perspective. And herein is the problem in life. I think if you think the, you talk about the vast uh, humanity on this world in the billions, 
how many out of those six, seven billion, whatever it is now, see life as God sees it? The big picture being, it's the story of the whole universe. The world is good, the world has fallen, and the world can be redeemed. It's the same cycle of goodness and fallenness and redemption. It applies to everything on the planet. You can take this formula and overlay it, and it applies to everything. To sex, to family, to church, to economics, to governments, to corporations, everything. In fact, that we humans touch, give off both. The original sin of goodness and the foul odor of fallenness, which requires the long, slow work of redemption. That is the plot presented in the Bible. It's the plot to all history. And the plot opens in Genesis 1 and goes clear through to the Revelation. That is the plot of life, in a sense. The big idea is we need to see the world from God's perspective. How does God see it? He sees it three ways. First, the world is good. For this claim, we have no less an authority than God himself. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was empty, a formless mass cloaked in darkness. And the Spirit of God was hovering over its surface. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that it was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. Together they made up one day. Day two, verses six through eight, God made the sky. Scripture says, and God saw that it was good. Day three, verses nine through 13, he made land and sea, plants and trees. The Bible says, and God saw that it was good. Day four, verses 14 through 19, he made the sun, the moon, and the stars. And God saw that it was good. Day 5, verses 20 through 23, he made sea life and fish and birds, and God saw that it was good. Day 6, verses 24 through 31, he made every kind of animal and people. Verse 27 says, so God created people in his own image. God patterned them after himself, male and female. He created them. Verse 31 says, then God looked over all that he had made, and he saw that it was excellent in every way. And in each act of creation, Genesis 1 record, records the heartening refrain, and God saw that it was good, his task finished. God saw all that he had made, and it was very, very good. A lot of you have been different places in the world, and maybe, you know, you've been somewhere where the beauty was, it almost captured you. It was breathtaking. Maybe like Lake Louise in Alberta, Canada, or Hawaii. And then you go to some cities or other countries, and you see a sense of hopelessness and pain. And now, with global terrorism on the rise, it seems that there's another issue that we deal with. Or we see the effects of human trafficking, people buying and selling other humans for sweatshops or the sex trade. And we've seen that right up the road in Terrell, Indiana. This is not something that's somewhere else anymore. Our clergy association had a meeting Wednesday at the hospital, and there was a lady there talking about this very thing, same thing, that there are more slaves in America now than there was when we could buy and sell people. It is human evil we must remind ourselves that mars the inherent goodness of the world. You notice I said human evil. It's on us. Did you realize that people go hungry for lack of compassion and not lack of resources? That the world creates enough food to feed every individual, but because of injustice and greed, it doesn't get to them. It's like the man who was praying one day, he was, he was watching one of those commercials on TV there where there were starving children in another part of the world, a third world country. And he was complaining to God, 
He said, man, God, what is up with this? You should take care of this. God said, that's what I made you for. That's why you're here. You're here not to create more suffering. You're here to help alleviate it, actually. And, and it's the injustice part that I think drives us crazy. Um, uh, Dustin knows this, and a, a lot of you have been to Haiti. You, you see that in the leadership and in the government, that they are withholding food and withholding things uh, from, from the people. And it, it's, it's aggravating. It's what it is. But it is what it is. From Augustine onward, Christian theology has insisted that what we call bad things are actually good things perverted. A lie warps truth. Sexual immorality sullies the beauty of physical love. Gluttony abuses food and drink. A parasite, evil must live off good and has no ability to create anything new. Everything evil in this world started out good and mankind has, has perverted it. Many things in the world do not seem good, but take the human body. Virtually every activity of our body that we view with irritation or disgust, blisters, calluses, swelling, fever, sneezing, coughing, vomiting, and especially pain, demonstrates the body's protective response. Your body's trying to tell you something. Without these warning signs and crucial steps in healing, we wouldn't, we'd be in great peril, actually. It's the same. Our emotional pain reveals good as well. What is good about fear? You, I think a lot of us sometimes when we speed, if there was any fear, it'd be a state police or a sheriff or a deputy. And let me ask you this. If there was no speed limit on 41, how many in here would drive 55 or 60? That's what it is now. How many drive 60 now? God bless you. You're an honest bunch this morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that tells me, you know, I, I better text Jason Bob and have him out there on 41. Oh. But think about that as, as we, if, if we had no fear when we drove, we would drive or take crazy risks, I'm sure. Those who have zero fear are in great danger of dying or getting hurt or really bad or killing or hurting innocent people. And it's... This is wild how things work. It's like, it's like I don't begrudge machines and four-wheelers or whatever, but how many kids have been injured on them because they don't take them serious? I'm showing Larry Wilson. I, I just got this. I just got this today at 940. It, it's from a question or alert. It says, teenager critically injured in off-road vehicle crash, Sullivan County. So some child or some teenager has lost their life today, according to this. I don't know any of the details or anything, but... Fear is a good thing. Or think of a world without loneliness, a form of pain that Adam felt even before the fall. Would friendship, would love even exist without that inbuilt sense of need, that humans need other humans, that we need, we need that touch. We need the power of loneliness to nudge us toward other people. And there are some that want to live as hermits, and they don't want to be bothered by anybody, but I, I think that's a minority, actually. Negative emotions can have positive value if responded to well. In the words of psychiatrist Gerald May, and I quote, In reality, our lack of fulfillment is the most precious gift that we have. It is the source of our passion, our creativity, our search for God. All the best of life comes out of our human yearning are not, are not being satisfied. I think we suffer most when we love the most. 
When something bad happens, perhaps we should see that as pain and we see the sense in somehow how we can interject ourselves into that situation and make it better maybe. Second way we need to view the world as God sees it. The world has fallen. I think people that don't even know God understand that. In the movie Grand Canyon, the world's fallenness is spoken in words by a truck driver played by Danny Glover and who Kevin Kine's car breaks down and he goes out to fix it and this carload of uh, young men who are meant to mean him harm and rob him are standing around the car talking to Kevin Klein, giving him a hard time, and Danny Glover pulls up in this truck. And this is what he says. Man, the world ain't supposed to work like this. Maybe you don't know that, but this ain't the way it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to be able to do my job without asking you if I can. And that dude is supposed to be able to wait with his car without you ripping him off. Everything's supposed to be different than what it is here. And so they go through that, and at the end, they're sitting down on the curb, and the guys leave, and they're trying to understand life in a sense. And Danny Glover has seen the Grand Canyon, and he was talking about how awesome that was that when he first saw it. And then he shakes his head, and he says, what a joke we people are. You think God ever thinks that? Of all the opportunities, of all the advice, of all the ways that we can live in Christ and, and, and live in peace and joy and harmony. And we, we, we don't always take that. And I, I'm sure God just kind of shakes his head a little bit. Let's face it and be honest. Whatever we humans touch goes wrong. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what it is. It could be anything. It could be the church. When we try to run the church through our perception instead of God's, it, it can go south pretty quick. In more optimistic times, Christian had to struggle to make the case for a fallen world. Well, I guarantee you this morning, we don't have to make a case for a fallen world. All you have to do is watch the news. No longer the people who had the most optimistic view of the human race, those who envisioned a steady progression toward emergence of the new socialist man fell the hardest. Littering the cyber and turned in the Chinese planes with perhaps hundreds of thousands of corpses. And now the United States, once the shining hope of a weary Europe, leads the world by many measures of violence and social chaos. It is what it is, and we're living in that. What the tow truck driver observed, the Christian doctrine of a fall merely codifies, man, the world ain't supposed to work like this. So if indeed a good God created a good world... Something has gone terribly wrong. And what is that? What has gone wrong? The word fall never used in the Bible to describe what happened to Adam and Eve has achieved a central place in theology because it seems so apt. Earth's original couple reached too high, lost their balance, landed on hard grinding with a loud thud. And you and I live with those consequences every day of our lives in some way, shape, or form. We still feel and experience the effects of Adam and Eve's sin in our own life. And there is no way that we can get out of that without Christ. The Greeks had similar stories. A man named Prometheus who stole fire that belonged to the gods and a boy named Icarus who soared too high on leather or feather wings and came crashing to earth. And a woman named Pandora who opened a secret box from the gods. In each of these stories, 
The characters advanced in a way, but fell in a much steeper way. And Adam and Eve fell the furthest, gaining the knowledge of good and evil by welcoming evil into the world, thus losing the chance to live as God intended. So we think about our own times. Technology repeats the cycle of Adam and Eve, Prometheus, Icarus, and Pandora. We master the atom and nearly obliterate ourselves. And now as we watch the news, we know that there is a lunatic in North Korea with his finger on a button. He doesn't have to ask anybody. In our missile system, there's two keys. Two people have to switch keys simultaneously to fire a missile. In North Korea, I do believe that this guy's just got his finger on the button and all he has to do is push it. And Guam is no more. I think that's, and this is the world that we live in. We learn the secrets of life only to develop techniques to destroy the unborn and the aging. And people, Satan, I think, fuels this. He wants this for us to accept that and be normal to abort babies. They're not life. They're just an it. Or even... As we think about, as we get older, mercy killing, euthanasia, if you will, it's being talked about in higher circles. So man this man or this woman, they are no longer productive to society. So I think we should put them out of their misery and, and leave, give more air for us to breathe and more food for us to eat. You think that's far-fetched, but I do not. We unlock the genetic code and open a Pandora's box of ethics. We tame the plains with agriculture and cause dust bowls, harvest rainforest and create floods, harness international combustion and melt the ice caps. We link the world to the internet, which you can find anything about anything on the internet. And we come to find out in the statistics that the most downloaded item on the internet is pornography, which is a disease to the mind. It's, it's, it, it, it really makes that makes sense to me that everything that has been created that's good, we have found some way to pervert it. It is not given to man to enjoy uncontaminated happiness. Ro Primo Levi, a survivor of Nazi concentration camps. And indeed, it is not. Nor can we know uncontaminated love or goodness or anything else thanks to Adam Fall. Because we live in a fallen world, the entire planet is contaminated. All options have something wrong with them, and at best, we seek out the least damaging. And yet, those words were spoken by Eli Wassell, a Romanian Jew who, as a teenager, survived Auschwitz, Buna, Buchenwald, and Gleifwitz concentration camps. And yet, and he could say that, and yet, and yet, and yet, that there, there's something in there that there, there is hope. Vincent van Gogh wrote in a letter to his brother Theo, I feel more and more that we must not judge of God from this world. It's just a study that didn't come off. What can we do with a study that's gone wrong? If you're fond of the artist, you do not find much to criticize. You hold your tongue, but you have a right to ask for something better. Later, Van Gogh added, the study is ruined in so many ways. It is only a master who can make such a blunder, and perhaps that is the best consolation we have out of it. Since in that case, we have a right to hope that we'll see the same creative hand get even with itself. The flaws and imperfections in his 
the world and in himself serve Van Gogh a stimuli or hope. We'll see the same creative hand get even with itself. Do you realize that there's a day coming that God will take his remnant out and this earth will be destroyed with fervent heat? All the evil that we have created, that Satan has fueled, will be burned up. And I think it'll be in the blink of an eye. There's though that day is coming, but we realize that it's not here yet. Third way we need to view the world through the eyes of God is eyes of hope. The world can be redeemed, that this isn't it, that we have a chance. It is true as of Christendom, as of humankind, that its fall came so briskly on the heels of its creation as to make the two events seem like one, remarks the novelist Marilyn Robinson. The great recurring theme of biblical narrative is always rescue, whether of Noah and his family, the people of Israel, or Christ redeemed. The idea that there is a remnant too precious to be lost and humanity will in some sense survive has always been a generous hope. A religious remnant, us who believe, what a powerful word, redeemed. There are powerful words that mean much to me, but words that I'll probably never figure out, and, I, and grace is one of them. I, th- I wish I could tell you that I understand grace 100%, that I understand unmerited favor because God loves me. I wallow in it. I embrace it, but I don't understand it because it doesn't compute with this finite mind. Another one is the word redeemed. In a slave culture, translators of the first English Bibles rightly settled on redemption as the most powerful image of what God has done, has in store for individual persons in all creation. Could any more image aptly express God's grace than a buyer purchasing a slave in order to set him free? We don't understand any of this. None of us were raised in a slave culture. We can't grasp it. We can't even come close. We can try. But you imagine the feeling and the emotion of standing on a slave block naked in front of the world with a chain around your neck, shackled, and knowing that you're going to be sold in a sense to be used in any way that that master would like to use you. And here comes somebody out of the crowd you've never seen that pays top dollar to secure your freedom. He buys your freedom, and then he takes that collar off and dresses you Say, go live. It's exactly, it's exactly what Christ did for us. Nowadays, we redeem mortgages, coupons, pond items, not slaves. We carry bags of aluminum cans and glass bottles to redemption center. The word has badly shrunk. A redeemed slave is not truly restored. He still bears scars from the whips and carries with him the trauma of being wrenched from his home and his family and and sold him to change to a human master. Precisely because of that trauma, freedom means more to the redeemed slave than it ever did before, you see. The Bible gives us glimpses of heaven to indicate that what we endure on earth now and how we respond will be redeemed. We'll be remembered there. Even Jesus himself, the resurrected Jesus, kept his scars. Redemption promises, not replacement. A wholly new creation imposed on the old, but a transformation 
that somehow makes use of all that went before. It, 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 it is, we are, we were bought with a price. It is like a priceless oil painting that's had some damage in a flood that's been restored or a cathedral that was bombed in the war and rebuilt to its original self. Redemption involves a kind of alchemy. Do you know this word? A philosopher's stone that makes gold from clay. And in the end, evil itself will serve as a tool of good. But for now, today, time matters. History matters. Individuals matters. We are moving somewhere toward redemption. And what always amazes me about life and in the world and in the past and in history, people will borrow things from the Bible, will borrow things from the creation story, and then they try to make it their story. But it had to start somewhere, and it started here. Even movements that deny borrow elements from it. The Enlightenment promised a redemptive redemptive movement beyond ignorance toward a new consciousness. Romanticism sought to recover original innocence. Communism promised a way to reverse the fall without the need of redemption. Women's groups, minorities, the disabled, environmentalists, human rights activists, all of them draw their moral force from the power of the Christian story that promises redemption for the oppressed and the slaves, that in the end they will find freedom. You see, that's to be complete the Christian story requires all three. Optimists who deny the fall and paint the rosiest picture of human potential end up creating the greatest tragedies the world has ever seen. And for those who have no idea of the hope of redemption, end up with a view of history like Macbeth's. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Have you met any of these folks that when... In their mind, when you die, you die, and that's it. They take you out and bury you in that, split up your stuff, and forget about it. That's the end of the story. I can't, I can't do that because I believe in the Garden of Eden when man made Adam and blew in his nostrils the breath of life, that it was an eternal breath that continues to go. The Christian story insists that history is in lurches and detours moving toward a resolution. And all the things that bothers us, all the things that we see, all the crimes that are committed, all the abuse that happens, it comes down to this, that we humankind have created that and not God. You and I should never blame God for anything, absolutely nothing. But we do sometimes. It's man's fault. Paul talks about on that day in Romans 8, 21, that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God, 8, Romans 8, 21. We need to see the world from God's perspective. The world is good, the world has fallen, and the world can be redeemed. And the final question is this, are you redeemed? It's a funny thing when we, think, we talk about this. I've known people that have gone to, get to church all their life. They've never made that commitment. 20, 30, even 40 years maybe. Every Sunday they gave their tithe. They gave their money. They gave their offering. They sang the songs, and some of them even raised their hand and praised God. They'd never done that step. That's the, that's, that has to be. You have to make that step. You have to. There's no, there's no other way. Here's how I come to Jesus. I said these words in a similar fashion. Dear Jesus, I realize I need you. 
that I cannot save myself. Please forgive me for my sins and come into my heart so I can live redeemed, live free. Thanks, God, for hearing my prayer. Amen. That's, that was how I came to Christ. And it changed my life and put me on another path. And I pray this morning that you have been redeemed. It's like the old hymn says, redeemed how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child and forever I am. Redeemed and so happy in Jesus, no language my rapture can tell. I know that the light of his presence with me doth continually dwell. I think of my blessed Redeemer. I think of him all the day long. I sing for I cannot be silent. His love is the theme of my song. I know I shall see in his beauty the king in whose law I delight, who lovingly guardeth my footsteps and giveth me songs in the night. And the chorus goes like this. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, redeemed, his child and forever I am. I hope that's you. Folks, we can play games with each other. We can do all manner of things in the church. But unless you've been redeemed... You're not in the boat with Jesus. I can't make that any more clear. So really, I, I just pray that's where you're at this morning. I, I want to be in heaven with you forever. Lord, I love you, and I thank you for my friends here. I thank you, Lord, for the hope that you offer us as humans that we can be redeemed. And even though we live in a fallen world and all of us has done fallen things, we know what it's about. We, we, we live in this, and... There's been times in our lives that we've not always done what we're supposed to do. There's been times in our lives that we've done things and created circumstances that we wish that we could erase, but we know that's impossible. But man, Lord, you give us an out. You give us hope. Even in our sin-sickened state that we can lay this down at your feet and you cleanse us completely with your precious blood. There's no other place in the world that we can find that. So right now, Holy Spirit, I just pray as we sing this song uh, that we're dishonest. We need to confess sins that we do it. When you want to be prayed with, we can come down here and somebody will pray with you. That's all right now, Lord, I just pray that you take control of this part of the service. For we ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. <laughs>